The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Friday. And let's start off by saying hello to the man who keeps us on an even keel, weekend in, weekend out. And I'm talking, of course, about bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you today, Benny? Hi, doing very well, Gary. Uh, let me ask you something, though. How come I'm always on a boat? I don't know. It, it could have something to do with the, the past. It could have to do with reincarnation. Okay. If you're on a boat, this whole maritime theme mm. is going to figure prominently in our hour today. Well, so where would you where would you like to be, Benny? Well, it doesn't really matter. I just seem to be even keeled quite often, and we are in the Seattle Pacific Northwest. So the Mariners. I mean, oh, that's funny how you bring that up, Gary. We're doing pretty <laughs> well right now. Not far behind are the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. By the way, not to get sports yes. related. Yeah. Yeah, it, know, it's funny because Gary mentioned that yeah, very see? thing yesterday. See? I'm laughing too because the Mariners, who seem to be making good use of the long ball, uh, yeah. are off to a record franchise record start. And you have the Rays there who operate on a pretty small payroll. I have to say they may, they kind of play small ball in a way, but with some outstanding pitching, they are the class of the American League. And here you have the Yankees and Red Sox with those payrolls, and they are just winded, trailing right now, trying to catch up. Yeah, well, you know what happens. We've uh, we've had a lot of experience of having, uh, you know, that type of uh, budget. So, uh, you know, we're doing, we're doing what we can. We got the long <laughs> yes, lumber. Yes, we are. Uh, the new record, actually, we just said, I don't know if you heard this, uh, 15 games, uh, a home run in each game. It's set a new Mariner record, by the way. Oh, that's oh, wonderful. Very nice. Yeah, Congrats. I, Congrats. I love that. Yeah, Somewhere Gorman Thomas is smiling. <laughs> there, <laughs> there was a guy, he would strike out two or three times as often as he hit a home run, but when he hit it, he made contact. Right? It's so pretty looking, so pretty. Well, thanks for being with us once again, Benny. Yes, we are going to get uh, nautical. We're going all maritime on Manson Mitchell in a paranormal fashion today because it is our good fortune to talk to Nicole Strickland, and I'm going to read her bio. It's a very lengthy bio, so I'm only going to read the first paragraph because we want to get into questioning her. But Benny, I don't know if you've got any suitable music or some applause, but I do want to say an early happy birthday to my partner and first mate, Suzanne Mitchell. Oh, her yay. birthday officially is tomorrow. Okay, all right, yes, congratulations. Yeah. The big 25, right, I believe? Yeah, yeah, around in there. Yeah. And another year wiser, too. Ah, good, that's what we thought. Wise beyond my years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so happy birthday to Suzanne. Yeah. Nicole Strickland, we decided, would be the perfect lady to talk to. She's always so articulate, so well-researched when it comes to paranormal studies in general, but she has some specialties, and the Queen Mary would be at the top of the list. And there is a surprising revelation to come about the Titanic, as a matter of fact, all in the course of this interview just about to begin. Let's give the lady her mad props. Mad props. Nicole Strickland currently resides in San Diego, California, and has been innately intrigued with the paranormal since childhood, having thus studied the field for many years. She has been actively investigating historical landmarks and private residences for paranormal activity since the early 2000s after a profound experience with the spirit of her beloved grandmother. Nicole is the founder and director of the San Diego Paranormal Research Society and serves as the team's EVP specialist and historical locations case manager. Nicole has also worked with various Southern California paranormal research teams prior to developing SDPRS in 2009. She was also a core member of the Ghost Research Society from 2009 to 2017, serving as the Southern California Area Research Director. She also serves as a consultant to World Paranormal Investigations, as well as a California representative for the American Spectral Society. This is all a very organized business, it turns and out. And more to be said later. Absolutely. But for the moment, let us say hello and give a warm welcome to Nicole Strickland. Nicole, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fabulous. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's always such an honor and pleasure. And happy birthday, Suzanne. Happy early birthday. Well, thank you, Nicole. I appreciate that. When yeah. Gary and I were looking at our travel schedule, 
we we do a lot more dreaming and thinking about it than we do actual travel. And one of the <laughs> things that he was wanting to do, really in the worst way, was go to the Oregon Ghost Conference. And oh, then yes. when um, when we thought about this weekend and and sorry that we missed that, we said, you know what, we got to talk to Nicole about the. Yes, yes, it's fabulous. I've actually been going, my first time going to the conference was in 2015, and I never knew the impact that a lot of the people up in the Pacific Northwest would have on me. There's just some amazing researchers out there and authors. And so the Oregon Ghost Conference was founded by Rocky Smith, and he lives in Oregon City, and he's a teacher and historian. I mean, he wears many hats. So the conference is, I think, one of the largest paranormal conventions in the United States, but definitely the largest one on the West Coast. So this last one that I just went to was my fourth one that I've gone to, and I was a speaker there as well, and it was just such a fabulous event. I was, I had the opportunity to be a part of a really groundbreaking documentary called All Around Us, the um, life of uh, Seth Michael. I forget the the actual subtitle there, but um, all around us documentary, Inside the Life of Psychic Medium, Seth Michael. There we go. And uh, so I filmed uh, my little segment back in 2016 at the Oregon Ghost Conference. So it actually debuted. It had its world debut at this previous Oregon Ghost Conference and at the Times Theater there in Seaside, um, little city of Seaside there in Oregon. And it was just so fabulous to see the film come together. So then it's just such a really good, authentic look at what we do as paranormal researchers and what we do as spirit advocates. And so I was just such, I mean, I was just blown away by, by the film and just, it was so honored to be a part of that. And so the conference is wonderful. I mean, for those that are interested in going, it's always in March every year in Seaside, Oregon. I love Seaside. It's a cute little, I guess, beach town, like right there in, in, in Oregon. It's just fabulous. So I flew into Portland, rented a car, and then drove out to Seaside. And the conference is three days, and they have tons of presenters and classes and vendors and all kinds of good stuff. So you guys should definitely go. Oh, I intend to. Is it always yeah. in March? Yeah, typically it's the end, the last weekend in March. I think next year's, without looking at the date, I want to say is March 27th. But if you go, the website is Oregon Ghost Conference, all one word, OregonGhostConference.com, and everything about the conference is on that website. And again, Rocky oh, Smith great. founded it, and he has a really great committee, Oregon Ghost Conference committee, comprised of many of my uh, colleagues and friends up there. And I do a little volunteer work myself for the conference, being its California coordinator. So it's it's just such a great event, and so I'm I've been really really proud and honored to have participated for now four years. So I look forward to next year <laughs> for sure. You guys should come, Nicole. In your introduction, one of the things that Gary mentioned was that you were involved with EVPs. And that's not executive vice president. That's electronic no. voice phenomenon for anybody yes. who's not familiar with it. And with regard to the conference, is there anything new regarding EVPs, a new way to collect them, a new way to de decipher them when they're garbled up? Was there anything going on in that particular field that you're interested in? That's a good question. I'm trying to think back on on the many classes that were offered. I am not. I don't recall an actual class just on EVP per se, but I know it's close cousin, which is instrumental transcommunication, and so that ITC for short. You know, that's where researchers use ghost boxes, spirit boxes, if you will, that scan uh, the AM and FM bands of radio at a high frequency. So it's thought that energies can use the electronic frequency of that device to form words and phrases. So we use that methodology in our research. And I was reading an article, I guess there's, um, and again, I have to do more, more research on it, but there's, I believe, and this is more or less for uh, ITC, the Estes method, I guess. So in Estes, Colorado, uh, one of the residents or a couple of the resident researchers there of the Stanley Hotel uh, decided to be creative and create this different kind of approach to ITC where I 
if, and again, I have to research it to get the exact details, but I think it involves being blindfolded and having one of the researchers listen to the static coming through and seeing if that particular person can decipher, you know, words and phrases, and then that person would compare notes with the other researchers. Again, if this is something that I just uh, read an article about briefly, and again, I need to, to look at it more in detail. But I think with EVP, I mean, I think it's audio tends to be more or less my specialty, and so I, I love doing EVP sessions. I love doing short ones. I love doing long, like burst sessions. I like doing longer, like 20-minute sessions, and then uh, and integrating the ITC uh, methodology as well with it. And the nice thing about paranormal research is I don't, personally, I don't focus on just one methodology. I, I use different ones, and then I try to blend those and then con- see if I can connect the puzzle pieces, so to speak. So, Is it all digital at this point, Nicole, or do you ever turn on a, a, a mechanical, mechanistic kind of tape and let that run? When you're comparing different ways of doing things, is there anything old-fashioned anymore, or has that just kind of been tossed out? I think for convenience purposes, most people use digital audio recorders set to stereo mode, but actually it, it is very uh, beneficial to, to experiment with analog tape recorders. So I guess the theory goes, and again, you know, we know that the supernatural realm is not, you know, black and white, it's gray. So one of the theories is that when using analog tape recorders, you have the magnetic tape, and so there might be some magnetism involved, or the energies perhaps can emulsify their vocalizations, if you will, on to that magnetic tape. So I think it's beneficial to use different types of audio recorders, you know, I mean, even even record using your cell phone, too, I mean, because, you know, our, our smartphones can record video and audio. So using that in in conjunction with more than one audio recorder, you always want to have at least two or three for comparison purposes. But analog, a lot of people, there are some people that that use analog, strictly analog, but I think more or less for convenience, most people use the digital format. The digital format, that actually brings up a, a case that I, of my own here in our own home, I Ooh. experienced several times the oven it's we no longer own that which is the reason why i'm bringing it up but when we before the kitchen remodel we had an old oven range from many years ago there and the clock kept going off at odd hours i'm talking when i say odd i mean it could be uh, 6 p.m it could be two in the morning and then three in the afternoon just and the thing is we never used it we never used it for the intended purpose but it kept going off all i would do is just turn it off and I started to get suspicious about this. There, so uh, I had a couple of different mediums identify without any prompting from me. They, I, they identified relatives of mine on my dad's side of the family who were letting me know that they're around. And Suzanne, yes, it was it was fascinating, and it was always this this clock going off there, even though we never used it for that purpose, as I say. So one night uh, after a couple of weeks of no activity and Suzanne saying, I don't like that thing going off. You know, your relatives need to stop doing that. We're trying to get to sleep, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. And it goes off at all hours. I remember going and prayerfully saying to my relatives, I know that you're here. I know that you love me. Don't worry about Suzanne. You're here to let me know that you are looking out for us. And I think that's pretty great. I love you too. And I went Aww. to bed with that on my mind. The next morning, 5.15 a.m., the oven timer goes off. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, wow. and, and then here's, here's the crux of the matter, though. We did a remodel. The kitchen looks gorgeous now. It was rather dated looking when we moved in. So we got a brand new oven range, digitalized with the timer there i'm looking at it across the room right now and with that being the case there was nothing mechanical that could be operated shifted manipulated so as a result that activity ceased 
And I figured it would be that way, but I'm at a loss to explain, A, how it could happen at all. And then secondly, this digitalized format, what is it ab about that fact of modern technology that makes this more difficult? Right. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I, I ask myself these types of questions on a daily basis, and it's like sometimes we, we just don't know. You know, if someone, if you were to ask someone, okay, so how to how do energies, if you will, how are they able to communicate to us through an audio recorder? If someone were to sit there and say, well, I have the answer for you, I would run because that person's most likely a fraud. I mean, there's theories, you know, there's there's speculations just based on research, but a lot of times we just don't know. And that's what makes it so interesting. And, you know, my grand, my mom's mom, my maternal grandmother, she's actually um, in my bio, uh, the one that was mentioned in my bio, she passed away at 4.44 a.m. on my mom's, her daughter's birthday, if you will, of all days. And so I see 4.44 all the time, like just randomly. I'll just go out, I'll see it on license plates, I'll see it like on all randomly like look on my computer and there it is or i'll look at the clock and it says 444 so it's it's interesting how clocks are used a lot for spirit communication our license plate in washington state on our car started out 444 and i thought that oh. that, that felt like a good number to me there we yes, go they were going through us to get to nicole uh, no doubt ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, but also, Suzanne, let's get, all the time. let's get Suzanne to jump in here. After your father passed several years ago, there was something very odd that oh, happened. Oh, yes, very odd. And it, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to my brother. He was cleaning out my dad's files well late into the night. He went to his house to get a couple things done, and one thing led to another. And pretty soon, it's late at night, and he's going through files, and his cell phone rings probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And when he looked at it, it said, Dad. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, he he did answer it, and there wasn't anything there that he could discern, no voice that he could hear. But it was interesting that my dad's cell phone was calling him when he had my dad's cell phone. And uh, and my dad oh, had passed. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah, he Do thought you know so, if it too. Was, uh, I, this might sound like a silly question, but do you know if his the his dad's phone was turned off or on at the time? I don't. I didn't ask that question, so I don't know. I imagine it would have been turned on, but that would have been all the more interesting if it was turned off. Yeah, it's just so bizarre how yeah. there's these, you know, different, you know, weird ways that, you know, they, they communicate with us. It's very fascinating. It is. It really I, is. I love that. And that leads me to the next juncture in our conversation, which is what experiences have you had, Nicole, or your colleagues with all of the research that you do in the many organizations? How often, I mean, just sort of thumbnail the percentage for me, if you would, how many times typically on a research hunt when you're looking for EVPs and you're capturing something, how much of that becomes interactive or is it almost always a case of hearing it after the fact and having to interpret? You know, that's a good question. There's a little bit of a difference between an EVP and what we call a, an AVP or audible voice phenomenon. So an audible voice phenomenon, also known as a disembodied voice, is a vocalization that we, that we researchers hear at the time. So we may hear that and then it may or may not be captured on recording devices. Now, in the case with an EVP, when we're you know doing a session and asking questions, we don't hear EVPs when they, but we at the time. But then when we go back and review our audio later on, then obviously that's when we'll hear uh, certain words or phrases that are being said. I think it depends a lot on on at, based on the location. There's a lot of factors that go into it. So it's the location, uh, how familiar the researchers are with that location, or even the intelligent energies, how familiar they are with the researchers. So in the case for us with the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, for example, or for me with the Queen Mary, for example, a lot of the intelligent energies will know, they know me. You know, they, they are familiar with me. They, they know that I come with respect and, and reverence for them. And so that can obviously 
you know, make them more comfortable, I guess, to communicate. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I kind of find, I mean, percentage-wise, lately, I mean, again, it depends on the case, but I would say for us, it's almost like a 50-50. Many of the, the vocalizations that we'll capture on recording devices are disembodied voices that we hear, and then others are, are EVP. I would say EVP is probably a little bit more common than, than disembodied voices being, uh, in my experience, being captured on a recording device. But I've kind of, in, lately in my research, I've had kind of like both, you know. But again, it depends on the location. I also wanted to move into your incredible work with the Queen Mary. But before we get to that, I mean, I could just say Queen Mary and you, you could run off a I half hour. I have a Queen Mary question. No, okay. I know, right? Hold on to the, the one thing I did say, we started our show with the drop, as it's known, to just uh, kick off the show with I'm the king of the world, as uh, yes, Leonardo DiCaprio's that. character uh, shouted there yes. from the mast. There, but... Uh, when it comes to the Titanic, we're coming up on another anniversary, which yes. Suzanne reliably informs me is the 14th and 15th. Right, going into the 14th That's and it. 15th of April. Yep. You have a personal connection to that at some remove, but nevertheless, a personal familial connection that you only found out about recently, Nicole? I would say, yeah, in the last, I want to say, a couple of years on my dad's side, yeah, we did find out that... Uh, there were a couple of family members from Ireland that were on board. And sadly, to my knowledge, I don't think they they made it. Uh, so this is something that I just found out about. But there's always, I mean, there's so much fascination with the, the RMS Titanic. And, you know, at the time of her sailing, she was the, the biggest ship. And even posthumously, she's just so famous and people honor her almost on a daily basis. But I've always had similar to how I am with the Queen Mary, and this could be one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to the Queen Mary. I have a similar connection or draw to the Titanic as well. So I don't know if maybe I've had a past life on board. I know that when I look at the pictures, when I see the actual historical photographs of people in the lifeboats, that looks so eerily familiar, familiar to me. So I don't know if maybe I was a you know on board in a past life, but uh, it's just it's such a it's just such an utter tragedy. And a lot of people will say, "Oh, the Titanic was so unsuccessful." I disagree with that. I think her sinking was an absolute catastrophe. But there are so many reasons why she was successful. And you know, in her short time on the sea, she you know captivated the hearts of so many people. And even to this day, you know, people I. I almost on a daily basis we'll think of the Titanic, especially around the anniversary time. So she was and is just a truly magnificent vessel. Nicole, when you're when you talk about the the uh, the two Irish relatives that were on board there and not knowing what happened, have you ever had an interest in um, maybe getting a mediumistic reading? where those people might actually come through as a possibility. Absolutely. That and then delving more into genealogy and learning more about about them and, you know, their lives. But absolutely. I know it would be a little emotional for me, but I think that that is something. I think it would allow for healing, too. Um, but absolutely. My, That's actually my... a really good point. Yeah, my recollection regarding um, your work with the Queen Mary is that you have a lot of uh, EVPs. You've identified very specific people. And yes. so there's something that is known about some very specific people who passed. And you end up being that um, the middleman, um, so to speak, between the deceased person and uh, their living relatives, and you're coming up with all this great information. So it just occurred to me that, you know, were, were you able or have you thought about doing that for yourself? That, you know, if you can use somebody that could help you connect with some of your past relatives, I think that that would be very interesting. You could see how the shoe would be on the other foot because all, of all the really good work that you've done with people that you have have um, discovered uh, mostly on the Queen Mary. But you haven't done that t 
type of work with the Titanic or being around any of the artifacts or anything like that, right? I've actually, well, the Queen Mary had artifacts on back in the 90s. She just had for, I want to say, I forget exactly, I should know this the exact time, but she did have a Titanic exhibit with some artifacts on board the Queen Mary recently. So I was able to go through there many times. But I've always had the theory that there are spirits of Titanic crew and passengers on board the Queen Mary. A, the two are often compared to each other. And on the Queen Mary's maiden voyage on May 27, 1936, is when she set off on her maiden voyage, she sailed past the exact spot of the Titanic sinking. And there was a little commemoration there, and they laid out a wreath in the water. So that may have been the tap-in point for some of the energies from the Titanic to come on board the Queen Mary. I have seen apparitions, if you will, of officers on board the Queen Mary. And of course, these are just fleeting images. I don't have that long to actually, you know, really analyze the uniform. But sometimes when you see an apparition, and even though it may be a split second, it's ingrained in your mind. And there were a couple times where I did, and and the uniforms looked very, 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 very similar to what officers would have worn on the Titanic. So I do think that there is that connection there. I mean, again, the two ships are compared to one another, but it's interesting because I, I love, I love all ships. Don't get me wrong, but they're for the two. I would say the two ships that I'm drawn to are obviously the Queen Mary and the Titanic. So it's, it's yeah, I definitely want to delve more into that. See, see if there's you more know, information I can go. It, it never occurred to me that you might have people interested. I mean, the world is such a mysterious place. We don't really right? understand how everything works, especially with the other dimensions. But when Absolutely. you're talking about the people from one ship being interested in a different ship and checking that out, now that really fascinates me. It's like you could be on the other side and decide that you would like to visit several different types of of ocean going vessels. And Absolutely. and I, I didn't even think about that till just now because the the other side is not so static that there is right. that fluidity of being able to see things and and go places without the physical limitations. So why wouldn't well, they visit several yeah. ships? Maybe a pirate ship, maybe a submarine, maybe um, you know Columbus's ship. They could, if people were interested in ocean-going vessels, there's a lot of them that they could could peek in at and take a look and see how it worked or how it felt. And if if they like the Titanic, I don't know why they wouldn't like the Queen Mary because they're both similar in in their elegance. Oh, absolutely. That's such a good point. Let's go ahead and take a break. It's that time, our halftime break. We are talking with Nicole Strickland. She is an extraordinary author and ghost researcher, paranormal researcher, involved with many organizations. And on the other side of the break, we're going to give you information from Nicole herself about how you can get in touch with her and get a hold of her books, there are several, and connect with her ongoing research. But first, a couple of minutes to move the economy forward, as it were. We're so happy you're tuned in to Nansen Mitchell right here at Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. or streaming live from your computer anywhere. 
spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Nicole Strickland, the foremost expert on the paranormal activity of the Queen Mary and her research into the sinking of the Titanic. On Saturday, Charlie Serafin talks about the life-changing actions caused by one stupid mistake from his book by the same name. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Nicole Strickland. That's the theme from the Titanic. And it's interesting how you can see and feel people. Maybe they're on the other side. Maybe they're on this side. But that energy is there. Nicole, if people would like to connect with you, please um, tell us about the different books that you have and um, your website and social media and how people can connect and look up and see what Nicole Strickland is all about. Awesome. All right. So I have three websites. So my paranormal research team, the San Diego Paranormal Research Society, all one word is San Diego com, And I have a website for my authorship and all one word that is author Nicole Strickland.com. And then I have a little website devoted to the Queen Mary as well, and that is spiritedqueenmary.com. I'm on Facebook, so uh, my personal Facebook is uh, Nicole PISD, acronym for Paranormal Investigator of San Diego. And then I also have the SDPRS on Facebook, so I think if you do facebook.com backslash SDPRS, that's our team's Facebook. And then I also have a Facebook. It's an author Facebook page. It's, gosh, uh, Nicole Strickland, author, paranormal researcher, I think is what it is. I'm also on Twitter at SDPRS Nicole and Instagram at author Nicole Strickland as well. And let's see, books. Gosh, I've written how many now? Seven books. They're available online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Some of them are available in, in local stores in, in San Diego. My Queen Mary books now, The Haunted Queen of the Seas, Spirited Queen Mary, and RMS Queen Mary, Voices from Her Voyages, are all sold aboard the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California. I'm proud to say that they're top sellers on board there. My third one, the RMS Queen Mary, Voices from Her Voyages, I'm actually working on a second volume of that book. And that book, I interviewed... Uh, former crew and passengers and World War II veterans and war brides about their sailing experiences on board the Queen Mary and how sailing on the Queen Mary impacted their lives. So that book is, uh, I think, the top seller on the ship or one of them, which is, is awesome, and I'm donating proceeds to the Queen Mary Heritage Foundation. So I am working on a second volume. So if anyone has any relatives or anyone you know that sailed on board the Queen Mary and would like to share their story in volume two, please get in touch with me. That's exciting. I'm curious to know, Nicole, with all of that said, do you have any photographic or video evidence of ghostly activity on the Queen Mary? Anything archived? yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. Some are photos that I've taken Others are photos from from guests uh, as well. My, one of my friends, his name's Tony. He was a, a tour guide on the ship. He uh, is now not on board anymore, but he was a tour guide for many years. And on his tours, he was able to collect some very fascinating, interesting anomalous photographs. And those are also, I have a couple of them on my uh, websites as well, uh, fascinating photographs 
that that I can't explain. Uh, I would say, speaking of paranormal activity on the Queen Mary, I would say the two most prolific types of, I guess, evidence or data or personal experiences that you can have have to do with audio and visual. So the ship's very visual. I mean, you can see full-bodied apparitions, shadow forms, Leading Im- images out of your, you know, peripheral vision, and then it's very audio friendly. Many people get EVPs on board or disembodied vocalizations. That's my experience. It's, so I have, yeah, I have quite, <laughs> I have quite a collection of, of audio and, and, and photographs from the ship. Are you continuing to do tours and to take people on board Queen Mary and continuing to get more photographs and, and more stuff? Because I, I think of you ha- uh, as having done a rather exhaustive research into it. Are you continuing that or are you kind of setting that aside to do other things? Well, I don't work for the ship, so I, I, you know, I've never worked. I've never been an actual tour guide on board, uh, but I have done several paranormal investigation projects in in many areas of the liner for like the last fifteen years. And so, my I do continue my work. I don't recently. I haven't been able to investigate the ship as much, but I'm at the point now with the Queen Mary that I almost don't need to conduct an investigation. I mean, even though I not, I'm not saying that I won't, but I, I am so familiar with, with the ship's spiritual phenomenon. There's, of course, always so much to learn, but I feel that, you know, I've, I've exhausted so much, and I'm not like I was many years ago where I'm like, I have to do an investigation, like, you know, five or six times a year. It's just I continue my research, of course, and right now it's, it's almost shifted more or less to where I'm kind of, doing a lot more historical research of the liner, you know, talking to, like I, like I said for my book, like former crew and passengers and, and learning little tidbits of information relating to the ship's history because there's so much, there's so much history on the Queen Mary, and there's so many out of all the thousands of people that have sailed on board. I mean, think of all the experiences those people have had. So, you know, my, my work on board, yeah, it has, Paranormal-wise, it's kind of slowed a little bit, and I'm kind of shifting more into the to the historical research side of it, which is fine. It's just I'm kind of letting the natural flow of it just kind of be and going where the ship wants to take me. So, well, if you're if you're doing the history after having done a very exhaustive paranormal investigation, it it mm-hmm. seems to me like you're you're actually making it very complete. Like a left foot yeah. and a right foot, you're you're going to have yeah. a lot of both sides of it. So, so now that that going more into the history, I think that's fascinating that you're talking yeah. to the the crew and the people who were there. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not paranormal, but you're going to have such great stories for, oh, from the, I mean, from the ship. Absolutely. I mean, I I'm, due to confidentiality, I can't share this on air, but I will say that I actually talked with a former crew member who spoke to a former crew member the night that that crew member passed away. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I mean, I, I wow. actually shed tears. I mean, it was that profound. I mean, I never, you know, I mean, the connection, that was just another piece of connection. I felt almost closer to this particular person by, by hearing this story just because it was just like, wow, someone actually talked to this person and told me about it. And so it was just, you know, it's, it's it's those moments that just make my heart sing, if you will, because there's just such a story with the Queen Mary. And I think that in many ways, her paranormal phenomena is her almost her way of telling her story to, you know, That's very well put. Generations. I like that. Yeah. That's a great way of yeah. looking at it. Yeah. So, great. We have spent quite a bit of time being maritime people here on Manson Mitchell today with Nicole Strickland. <laughs> there, let's stay in Southern California, Nicole, but I <laughs> think we need to talk some more about an intensive area of your research. They're down a lot closer to home. And I did say on Facebook when we were touting the fact that you would be with us today that you would be discussing some of the spirits of old Southern California, and you have a beautiful book published that addresses that in a very meaningful way for people who want to feel close to California, past, present, and future. 
Oh, my goodness. And I that book, Spirits of Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, the foreword that you two wrote blew me away. I have to say that when I first read it, I actually had tears coming down my face. It was just so poignantly written. So thank you so much. It adds so much to the book. But, yeah, like the Queen Mary, we've been, my co-director and I, Ali Schreiber, she could obviously be on air today. Her and I have such a, a great friendship, but we're also, you know, very, we share like this really cool mojo, I guess, if you will. We work so well together, and there's just such a harmonious unison between the two of us. And so we've been focusing uh, a lot of our research on the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, which is the subject of that book. And it's a one of the old last remaining ranchos up in Vista, California. So Vista is about 25, 30 minutes north of San Diego. It's right smack in the middle of Oceanside and in San Marcos. So we've been devoting about eight, nine years now of historical and paranormal research of the Adobe. And I will say some of the experiences I've had at the Adobe have blown me away. Both Allie and I have had deceased family members come through for us at the Adobe, Allie with her mother and me with my maternal uh, grandparents. And I, so I don't know if there's like a portal going on there. I don't know if, if ley lines are contributing to that. I don't know. But, you know, in, in speaking of audio, you know, instrumental trans communication, for some reason at the Adobe, we've been able to collect over many years very historically relevant, profound, clear audio vocalizations in the form of ITC. Now, I don't solely rely on, on ghost boxes or spirit boxes. I use them in conjunction with other methodology, as you should. But for some reason, the energies there seem to like to communicate through that medium. And we've been able to actually take a couple of vocalizations that we've that we've received through these devices and we've been able to compare those words and phrases with actual historical documents related to the adobe which is like very rare to do and so it's just i mean names have come through uh we are are experiencing or the same types of people coming through on a monthly basis because we're there on once a month because we host our fundraising tours there and so it's just it's God, it's just so fascinating. I mean, I could go on and on, but it's just there's a lot of intelligent energy there. I think some residual uh, phenomena as well, but many of the, the former residents of the adobe seem to uh, come through for us in spirit. And maybe they feel comfortable with Allie and I because they know us, and they know that we come in with you know good intent, and we honor them. And I think that it's, it's almost like a little friendship, if you will. We go in, and they're excited to see us, and we're excited to see them, and it's great. I would love for you two to see the Adobe. It's so beautiful. Oh, so would we. That that would oh, be yeah. something I would definitely want to see when we come to uh, California. And if we Absolutely. get down to San Diego, I've been there. Suzanne has not. We've got to go to the Whaley House as well. Oh, yes. Yes, and have some good Mexican food. <laughs> yes, good old You know, when, when I think of uh, Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, I was trying to describe it earlier to somebody, and I, I'm not sure that I, I said it very well, but this, I said this is how I think of it. I, right now, of course, there's state lines, but before there were state lines, when all you had was a region of the continent it seemed like there were layer upon layer upon layer of activity going on from very right. ancient um, people's times where it, it was not being used for agriculture, but maybe just for um, hunting animals or going there at a particular time of year to then being become settled and, and having different, at, in different centuries, having it be occupied by different people. And I thought that was one of the, the interesting things about it, kind of like a layer cake where you have Absolutely. all these different activities yeah. going on. So I, I did okay to describe it that way? Oh, yeah, that's actually a beautiful way to describe the adobe. I mean, you have the layer of the Native American influence there and those that lived on the land. Then you have the layers of, of the Mexican period and the Rancho period with different people inhabiting the area and those coming 
you know, uh, during the, the gold rush years. And then uh, even people like, for example, the Pollards. Uh, Harry Pollard was an MGM uh, producer, and his wife, Margarita Fisher, was a, a very well-known silent film actress. They lived there for 20 years. Harry passed away uh, during the time of their residency, but she continued to live there. So there's all these different people that have inhabited the adobe, even uh, very well-known uh, pioneer families known to the Southern California area, like the Bandini family, like Isadora Bandini de Couts and her husband, uh, Cave Johnson Couts, who was a, a well-known influencer during that time, during the 1800s uh, in, in Southern California. So it's been home to so many different people for so many years prior to the city of Vista purchasing it in 1989. So, yeah, your description is just, in my opinion, spot on. Absolutely. Well, that, that's what I remembered from reading the, the uh, book. And, um, and so for that reason, when you look at that energy piled one on top of the other, especially when you're talking about the love of the land, I mean, as right. Gary said, we, we finished our maritime conversation, and that's ocean-going vessels. But now we're talking about the land and the, the energy which is held in the land from the various people who are on it. I said to Gary one time, we when we were living in Washington State, I was the very first person to rent the apartment after it was built. It was a brand-new apartment. and. Wow. And so I, I took all the little tags off the appliances. All the appliances were brand new. Everything was new. And I felt like when we left 10 years later that we were leaving good energy. And I said to Gary, whoever rents this apartment, they wouldn't come in here and get freaked out. They would come in here and feel the, the good energy and the good love that we are leaving behind in this apartment. Right. Because that kind of stuff stays. And so, Absolutely. I, I, tra so I translate that to Rancho Buena Vista Adobe in the fact that when you've had various people on the land, they have, they have left their, their good feelings, their tragedies, you know, whatever it is behind for you to... Um, have a sense of, to feel, to um, research, to um, be an archaeologist for, for that of area. And, yes, and it's what, kind of a culmination of all of that, actually. Histor history, genealogy, yes. archaeology, paranormal research. It's, it's great. It's a yes. great way to put it. Is it, is it densely um, populated right now, or is it still relatively unpopulated? Vista in general is pretty densely populated, yeah. So it's it's grown over the years. And again, you have the communities of Oceanside to the west, San Marcos and Escondido to the east, Fallbrook uh, to the north, Camp Pendleton area to the north. So that area is all pretty densely populated. It's a, I love Vista. I think it's a great area up in, the, in, in North County, San Diego. And the adobe is just this secluded, like, historical gem right in the heart of Vista. And there's also the Rancho Guajome up there. And that's actually where Cave Johnson Couch and Isadora Bandini de Couch resided. They actually never lived at the Rancho Buena Vista adobe, but they owned it for a period of time. And some of their children uh, owned it as well. But the Rancho Guajome is, is not as, uh, it's, it's a, it's, the land is larger there than the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, uh, not as, I mean, it's well kept, but it, the buildings are, look a lot, you know, older, in my opinion, than, than the Adobe uh, in terms of looks. But uh, if, if you want to see two really good historical locations up in Vista, definitely go Rancho Buena Vista Adobe and Rancho Guajome. They're like two miles apart from each other, give or take. It would be quite a tour, and I hope that Suzanne yeah. and I will get there. We'll have to make plans to do so. In our last few minutes, I just wanted to, and I'm so curious about this, Nicole, I wanted to ask you, yeah. with the EVPs that you've been able to capture at the Adobe, we're talking about a confluence, if not a clash of cultures over time, mm -hmm. back in the day. 
And I'm curious to know if in what you were able to retrieve, there are different voices from different cultures represented in any way that distinguishes the ethnicities, yes, but also the attitudes that the people would have had toward each other. Isn't there a reference, a male voice talking about the Indians, for example? There's a distinction to be drawn. Yes, there is one specific entity there by the name of Juan, and we don't know his origins. We think that he might be a Native American and may have, when he was younger, worked for Isadora Bandini de Couch because she did employ indentured servant Native American children. It's a theory. His origins are, are still elusive, but he's one of the most popular energies there. He comes through uh, on a pretty much a monthly basis. There are other male energies that come through, and you can definitely distinguish or, or hear the, the heavy uh, Spanish accent to the vocalizations there. Uh, and this there's one energy there that likes to come through. By the, his name is Luis, and he was a former uh, owner of the Adobe. Very accented tone. Now, we had a medium on the premises many years ago, and it was this particular medium's Im impression that Luis didn't like to show up when Cave Couch was present, which would have made sense historically because Cave was, you know, the pretty much in many ways loved the natives uh, and was revered by them, but also uh, was uh, feared by them as well. But he would have probably been a little harsh to some of his employees and, and servants who would have been of the Native American or, or Spanish descent. So that kind of, I guess, coincides a lot with, with the history there. But, I mean, we're, I mean, we have female and male vocalizations with heavy Spanish accents. Some will even talk to us in Spanish and will ask, you know, do you prefer to talk in English or Spanish? And sometimes they have said English, sometimes they've said Spanish. We may ask a question in English, we may get a response in Spanish, vice versa. So it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. But it's, I would say that the, the main interesting point about the research there is how a lot of our data and even personal experiences definitely coincide with the, the historical uh, tapestry of that particular location. So that's what makes it really fascinating. Nicole Strickland, I can't thank you enough for joining us once again. We always oh, leave meeting. There's so much left on the table to discuss, but that just means I we know. need to invite you back. We'll do it all over again. <laughs> of course, anytime. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. Suzanne, I hope you have a wonderful birthday. Thank you. And, and thank you. And thank you for being on today. It was great. Thank you. Absolutely. And coming up, day, guys. you right. as well, Nicole. Coming up, Christine Upchurch, followed by Susan Harmon, followed by great new show, American Road Trip Talk. It's a half hour on the road. We can't wait to discuss a Ford Model T trip coast to coast. Yep. My guest, Tom Cotter, will tell you all about it today. Until then, let this be the start of a great weekend, everybody. And Suzanne's going to have a wonderful birthday weekend for sure. We'll talk to you again soon. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.